Hello, friend. I'm very, very happy you're listening to us. We've got a hot show today. Straight heat, straight fire emoji. Welcome to Hit Different. Welcome to my voice in your ears. We are talking to Monty Morgan from Client Liaison. Milo Eastwood is in the house as a co-host. We're going to be discussing Florida's A-Craze, who has sort of parlaying his one hit into some wonderful, wonderful career work. Then Milo will take the lead, the winter sort of artsy-partsy festivals and whether they're actually performing. And finally, we'll be getting into Monty from Client Liaison's career, lifetimes, love, lust, everything. Hey everybody, it's Mikey Carl here. We've got Milo Eastwood in the house. Hi Milo. Hello, hello. <laughs> and Monte Morgan from Client Liaison. Hello, thanks for having me. Pleasure. You've become a bit of a um, a podcast, uh, what's the word, aficionado, uh, regular. You, you've got your flying miles up on podcasts at the moment, is that I right? I have now, yeah. They're very popular, Excellent. which is great. And rocking a, a mean, by that I mean attractive mustache today as well. Give us a quick update, all things Monte uh, post-COVID, I dare say that. Oh, well, it's nice to get on the road again, hit some festivals, get back in the studio. Mm-hmm. We were working a lot over Zoom. We released an album in the pandemic, so it's nice to go and play those songs live. We'll gently unpack that later because that must have been both uh, victorious and traumatic at the same time. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's a good way to put yeah. it. Yeah. PTSD. Yeah. Right, my friends. Topic one after this. Thank you very much for that bit of music. It's made everyone's day. Hey, A-Craze. I love this track, Do It To It. I think it's an absolute slammer. I don't know the Cherish Crunk and B anthem, Do It To It. I didn't know that originally. Uh, my co-host has some very strong thoughts about that, Milo. This dude from Florida, a.k.a. Charlie Dunkner, shopped this underground uh, sort of house track around. No one wanted a piece of it. Of course, that's always how the narrative goes. You know, you know. Luke Perry had 111 auditions before he... They did 90210, fun fact. I'm sure it wasn't 111. Come on, mate. Rest in peace. The genesis of the song, he had no coffee in the morning and A-Craze saw something on Instagram just as his phone died. Someone was singing to this Cherish you know, in, the, in their car. He's like, that would sound cool on, on a track. An hour later, he produced something and it's gone bonkers. You know, it's I think we're up to sort of uh, around 500 million streams approximately. Never fails in a DJ set. Interesting things about it, it only goes for two minutes 37, which is this trend towards having a shorter song so you have to keep playing it again and again for streams. Uh, the new Diplo, Melee and Buster Rhymes track, Right to Left, also only goes for about that long. Uh, Milo, you also noticed another song last year. Yeah, the uh, Kid Leroy, Justin Bieber track Banger. went for under two minutes 30. I remember hearing it for the first time and just thinking... If I was in the producer's booth when this was being put together, I'd definitely be pushing for another chorus or maybe two. And then I realized as I was on my second listen exactly what they'd done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Ah, very clever. I just had a thought too. The Tiesto remix, which is atrocious, he also remixed Love Tonight, which you're on. You're on one of the biggest tracks in the world. It's kind of bizarre. And it is absolutely, that track is evergreen. Like it is getting bigger and bigger. And then it dissipates, but it does it at all because then it gets bigger somewhere else. It's just, you know, and you deliver a beautifully, us together. You deliver this most beautiful vocal take. Um, t- tell us about being part of this 
giant fuck off massive song. Yeah, it's quite bizarre. It's nice to say to the taxi driver, "Hey, that's me." <laughs> <laughs> so many years later, as well, because it was it was recorded in 2017, and there mm. was a little bit of buzz, and everyone was like, "This is actually this is their best song. This is great." Yep. And it had the community spirit of the choir, which yes. is really nice. Um, which is what they're all about. So that was really it was great. Like, and then I remember like they were playing some shows, and there was a bit of buzz, and then it just died. Yeah. So to see it come. In an, into a new light is is pretty nice. Mm, I yeah. mean, they've quit their day jobs just yeah. so they can, they can tour around, just be Shouse, you yeah. know? Shout out to Shouse. They were on our show as well. Um, were you always going to be the lead vocal at that part or did they record a whole bunch of sort of vocals and in the kind of We Are The World vibe, you're like, they picked you? It was all uh, scripted out. Okay. You'll do this part. Yeah, cool. So it's like, you guys do these lines together, then separate, then da-da-da-da. Yep. And the singer from the Harpoons, she's on it, isn't she? Yeah. She, she sings yeah, a, a really, what's her yeah. name again? Beck. Beck, yeah, yeah. She, she kills as well. Um, what? Where's the oddest place you've heard Love Tonight? It's just... Just it's everywhere. Just, it's everywhere. <laughs> it's, it's, it's omnipresent. It's, yeah. it's not, not anywhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and yeah, there's, it's nice knowing that I'm on it, but it's not really connected as well. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Does any, do people go, that's you? Do how many people know this? Yeah, some people, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's true. Because even in the film clip, you're going for... You're the opposite of Bob Dylan. Have you seen the Bob Dylan? Yeah. <laughs> He's like, the fuck am I here? Well, oh, well Prince was... didn't even turn up to that. So. Really? Yeah. He just tapped out. Yeah, he was. Wow. He got caught like having a party. Uh-huh. Yeah. While they were recording yeah. Over the World. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then he wrote a song about it. And it was like... We will get back to Eight Crazy in a second, but I want to ask you, Milo, how many times have you danced on stage with Prince? Oh, is it once? It's a, it's a, is it twice? It's a whole zero times okay. over here. But I have a feeling that somebody else in the room might be able to better me on How that one. How many times, Monty, have you danced on stage <laughs> with Prince? Three times. What yeah. the actual? How did this take place? Just tell, tell the listeners. Okay. Yeah, well, I'm, uh, before I made music, I, I would call myself a Prince fan first and foremost. And I used to collect his music and follow him whenever I could. So I'd see him in Australia. And those were the days when he'd let you into the sound check before he blew up again, had the resurgence. He'd let you into the sound check. Wait, there was a time where Prince wasn't massive? Yeah, he was not that cool in the like early noughties. He did Joan Osborne, What If God Was One yeah, Of Us on this triple right. album. And that was kind of the only hit from that triple album. Yeah, which, which kind of, yeah from 96 to like 2004. He became just a, a bit more daggy. obscure. And, yep. Yeah. But hey, Monty was there the whole time. <laughs> Never <laughs> yeah, left. That's Never when left. I got into right him. And, I, and, I, and that's what got me. It was like, he's still making great music now and no one knows. Mm. So like the hardcore fans, you'd get to the sound check and then there'd be 50 people. And he'd pull out, he'd start playing on the drums or he'd play on the keys and mm. he'd do whatever he wants. Then you see the whole show, the spectacle, and then you go and see the after show. So after my fourth round, fourth night of this, in about the fourth song, he just picked me out and said, come on up and it was in sydney and the crowd just weren't giving it and i could tell but you don't realize that you know you can see everything on a on a stage this is like an arena and then you get up there and you can see everyone and he put his arm around me and said what's your name man i got a a really bad bootleg recording of it (laughs) and i said oh monty and he said you know what to do don't you let nobody bring you down and i just started dancing wow and then i stayed up on stage and his wife was like filming me and i was like side of stage for the rest of the show it was wild Unreal. So that happens. You go home. You're I get depressed. Buzz, buzz day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what comes my up comes down. My life has peaked. Um, I have my 15 minutes of stage fame. When's the next time you get on stage? With uh, so then a few years later, he had a club in Las Vegas called 3121. And I was traveling to Cuba. So on the way home, I went to the club. Were you touring 
at that stage? No, no. I, I still hadn't. I, I was making music, but just for the fun of it. But this was like more intimate. It was like a club. So I was there from 2 p.m. queuing up and I was right at the front and he brought me up on stage on the second night or the fourth show or something. I mean, he'd, he'd play after shows in his restaurant mm-hmm. to like 100 people with the lights mm-hmm. like super dim and you'd be like getting pushed onto his mic stand. <laughs> and this time he brought me up on stage and his like gag was like... um. He was like, oh, come and sing, come and sing. And it was play that funky music, white boy. And I was <laughs> like, oh, I'm not singing this. I'm not part of this joke. And then, but then I went, oh, hold on. I just want to testify what your love has done for me. It was a George Clinton song. Yeah. yeah. And then I said, break it down. And his band broke down. Oh. And then they instantly looked at Prince like, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to. And they were like, he was really pissed off. He's like, what are you telling my band what to do? The ranks have changed. I love it. show looked delicious to me. And then, um, yeah, he said, ladies and gentlemen, Napoleon Dynamite. That was his like gag at that time. He'd bring the white kid up. and Still alpha male, no matter what. Yeah. (laughs) It's kind of a sick burn. Yeah, Yeah. it it was good. And then the third time was back in Australia again. And, and just so set it up for us because I told you, okay. you're like, it's no way it could happen again. Yeah, yeah. I mean, by this stage, um, we were doing shows. We might have released our first song. So I was like, okay. Because after Las Vegas, I, I fell into a spiral of depression. I was mm. like, what am I doing? I'm a Prince fan. Like, mm. you know, I love Prince, but like, there's, surely there's more to life than this. And the, and the pinnacle is like getting on stage and, you know, meeting him. Like, oh, come on. So then I was like, okay, let's make music myself. Mm-hmm. So I did that. So the third time was like, hmm, yeah, okay, I'm going to buy all the tickets and I want to see all the show. But it's not about like meeting him or, or getting up on stage. Because Prince, I love Prince not because of Prince. I love Prince the persona and yes. the art. And it's art first and foremost. Yep. Anyway, my, my good friend Simone, Simone J, she was in a cat suit on the last night. And <laughs> we were in the one of the front rows. Hell yeah. Yeah. And um, we were standing together and he said, come on up. And she just killed it. And I came as well. And Flavor Flav was rapping. And this is Rod Laver Arena in the round with a massive crowd. Why was Flavor Flav there? Because, you know, if you're like in town. a shit hot musician in town, you go to the Prince show. Yep. <laughs> you know? And he and brings you, get, you up you and he was up, rapping. And, and you get the clock. Yeah, and, and he's got the, the clock. Thing. And it was like, yeah, we're yeah, on the stage. Boy. And that was like a sweet, sweet last time. What yeah. song were you dancing to? Do you remember? No. I, I do the other ones. But this one, I was like, it was like a medley of, of sorts. Uh-huh. Yeah, just like a long medley. And did you go full Monty? Sorry, that's... <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not sorry at all. Actually. Yeah, I mean, I, like I did it with Nile Rogers more recently. Got up on stage and danced with him. Really? I like dancing. I call myself a dancer first and foremost. Interesting, because yeah. you've done it with Harvey Sullivan a few times as oh, well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah but like, love. yeah, uninvited. Yeah, you know? yeah. I can't help myself. It's yeah. Like sometimes it's a bit, bit rude. That's okay. Yeah. You know, I, the first time I believe it wasn't rude, he was really into it. I think then Mike got a little neurotic about it, neurotic funk. <laughs> Shout out to Mike, he's been on here. Hey, Yeah. <laughs> now, my friends, uh, hey, Chris, you remember that guy? <laughs> Bit of a tangent there. The yeah. guy from the beginning of the show. That's right. Now, Richie McNeil was on our a show uh, a few weeks ago and he let it slip. So, from Hardware Corporation, Festival X, um, Stereosonic, he's been, you know, a big badass promoter, um, Picnic Electronic. He said, hey, Chris, wants fucking 40K. Yeah, nah. Didn't have to tell us that. Definitely wanted to give it a little drive-by, which, sure. I, which I really liked. I thought that was – I like it when people people share and like a bit of fresh tea in the morning. Um, that was ginger and lemongrass. Uh, do you know this track? What do you think of this track? Do, does A-Craze have a future, you reckon, Mark? I only knew it because you mentioned it and then I, I recognized it. And for me, it's um, 
I'm on the dance floor and it plays and then I leave the dance floor. Okay, not feeling yeah, it. Yeah, no. Is it too, is it a bit gross? What, what, what's the word? Oh, I mean, it's got like a, it's going, it's got that uh, minor second vibe, which our song Elevator Up has, um, <laughs> <laughs> which is like, yeah, it's like got that um, dark energy and I don't know, I don't connect to the original or the remake. Okay. I just don't. That's all right. Like, yeah. Yeah. I connect to the world, the R&B, yep. crunk world. I love that. Yeah, 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 but not this one. No. Interesting. I like that take. When End of the Earth came out and you guys got a bit of heat, uh, I think Turbo was going to sign you, Tigger's, yes. Tigger's label, that, that, that was nearly going to happen. But in general, like it just really, you know, the, the great thing, like similar, I always make this um, sort of comparison. When Bob Sinclair put out Love Generation, no one was expecting a real kind of beautiful, tropical, mm. guitar-led, strummy banger. And that happened and that was massive. And kind of around the same time-ish when you put out End of the Earth, it was this almost like John Farnham pressure down, you're the voice kind of anthem celebrating 80s kitsch and all things, but sort of non-ironically. Something kind of dark about that track too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very slow as well. Very slow. And even the way it starts, you know, it's like, (laughs) and relax. You know, I love it. I love it so much. I've played so much. And that was... I got to write about you um, in the Herald Sun very early, put pictures pictures in, and you guys bigged up Elizabeth Murdoch, who's a great, great human, the opposite of her son. Um, all of this happened. Tell us about that that, that first those first moments of client liaison. I'm feeling like that come up, and then the EP with Queen, and you know, really having yeah, making I mean, a, a big impact. I mean, you say the Herald Sun, so like we just always would try to look our best because I think people they listen with their eyes first, and so yeah. What can we do to connect with people? You know, what do we wear? How do we uh, connect with our show? Because we started doing like house parties and birthday parties and exhibition openings and things like that. And then we started supporting people. Um, So it's kind of like nice coming through the scene and meeting all the other musicians. Um, But we would just try to put our stamp with our show and make it as good as possible. We were actually signed with Turbo. And um, they they were going through a lot of changes and so they couldn't really get around to working with us. So we were just like, look, let's just focus on the show and connect in that way. And that was really nice. And it took, but it took a long time. We were learning as we go. Yeah. But very, very early you played, was it Meredith or Golden Plains? Golden Plains. That was a very, well, you were literally that was the, a huge the, the headline, yeah. like the headline act for Saturday Yeah. Night. And that's so nice the way they curate that festival. That booking we, was like, yeah, on we, paper, that, how does that booking work? And then in actuality, a band that, how many, how many gigs in were you? Oh, I don't know. We'd, Probably done 15 around town or yeah, something, you know, yeah. and they're tiny gigs and then to be on a festival stage. That I was, yeah. I remember I'd seen you at the Workers Club maybe two or three weeks before that yep. set and like there were like a few people in the room, but for, to go from that to like midnight at Golden Plains yeah. in yeah. the space of a couple of weeks, huge. Yeah. It was, it, I got on that stage and I was like, this is where I belong. Hell yeah. yeah. I was like, this is great. And you, how many, co- you had one very vital costume change. Okay. I, I'll never forget we had, um, <laughs> Flume was playing that year yeah it was just like blowing up yeah you know there was all these big acts of like roadies lifting their gear and we had our friends with a water cooler and some (laughs) potted potted plants moving about and footage is on youtube if you want to check it out like what are you doing that's so good what are you doing there it was yeah really fun you said uh you wore the same outfit that you wore on stage a few days ago what was the the, can you describe the outfit because it's it's like a sheer it's in the feeling music video actually Uh like a sheer it's like it's probably my mum's i think it's, i think it's my mum's some of the best stuff you get sheer um top yeah yeah wrong with three very uh three men very much in touch with the feminine side today friends so enjoy that uh right on so i i'm very curious as to how a craze a craze has said that he's not touring 
Australia because of COVID. Okay, so he's <laughs> meant to come out for the Tiestos. Oh, because of COVID. That is like the classic, you know, when September 11 happens, like, oh, September 11 happened. There's, there's all things, you know, everything's in the air and yada, yada. So I think that um, he didn't want to agree to a lower fee. That's my gut. And I'm sure there's people, you know, he's from Florida. And there's a lot of money going around the world. Um, to circle back though, have you done Love Tonight Live? And I know that these guys are going all over the shop. It's fine. Uh, no, I haven't, I haven't done it live. No. They, and they did another song recently. And they, they asked everyone from the original choir to be part of it. But I had a show on um, Interstate, so I couldn't do that. But, um, and I've seen the, those guys on the road, which is awesome. Yeah, it's great to see their success. I've got. To, I don't know how I'm going to somehow um, muscle this in. Uh, yeah, we are the world. That was in the '80s. You know, love tonight's got to do the same vibe. Do you have an anecdote about um, '80s producers and cocaine and treble? Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, <laughs> we would always mention this that yeah, the, the cocaine suppresses the um, treble mm-hmm. in your hearing. So the producers would just continually turn up the treble and yeah. turn down the bass, and that's part of the 80s sound. Yeah, yeah. it's that real kind of stomp to it, you know, that real mm. kind of overpowering. Huge snares. Yeah, yeah. and I love how it's all like Grace Jones and everybody's like, this, this is an eight-minute track. No, no, this is like, no one's like, no, this is cool, man. Let's just keep it going. Let's keep it rolling. Yeah. It's kind of like the opposite of the two-minute 20 song. Yeah. Back in the day, they were like, how can we make this edit go on forever and ever? Yeah, and you, I think you made the point, Milo, that, when rock and roll started, all the songs were sort of, you know, two and a half, three minutes. Well, know? the medium itself couldn't fit more than about three minutes worth of audio mm, onto yeah. it with, with the seven inch. 45 or seven inch, yeah. And then in the 70s, the 12 inch single came into existence. And that's when we get I Feel Love, yep. Giorgio Medora, and uh, yep. Donna Summer, and yep. all of these huge disco tracks that go yep. for seven, eight minutes that were like yep. made for the club. Yep. You just um, I, th- I think it's kind of sad, these, these TikTok songs. Yep. That are actually twenty second loops that they just yep. just pad out and yeah. release. I, I I don't know. It's a little sad. It's a sad time right now, but yep. the world's gone through some trouble. <laughs> but like yep. you know, all the remakes. I mean, that's been happening in jazz for a long time. It happens in Latin culture. They're always yep. remaking songs. Yeah, yep. and there's some awesome remakes. You know, the Elton John one. There's you know, hearing those old hits in new light with fresh production is mm. great. Mm. But I'm missing the new. The new hits that people can connect with. The risk, you know, yeah, as opposed to the, the film. There's just the, you know, I remember hearing a, a Nicolas Cage interview when I was working at Herald Sun. He's like, you know, I just want to be involved. It's a positive franchise. He, he would have said that. He would have said it 16 times in the interview. That sounds like a client liaison song. It does, isn't positive it? Positive franchise. Positive franchise. <laughs> you heard it here first, friends. Uh, you did Groovers in the Heart as well. This is a long segment, but it's going well. Um, Groovers in the Heart for Triple J, like a version. Uh, how I, I know, um, well, I always just say it out loud, Confidence Man have had a lot of songs rejected by Triple J because you don't want any of that pump up the jam, 90s Belgian rave, unfortunately. Uh, we, was this the, your first choice, Groovers in the Heart, or did they kind of give you no, a No, we had um, Heaven is a Place on Earth. Oof, right, Belinda. And been. then they approved it, and I sang it, and it was just like not right. It just didn't, it just didn't work on multiple fronts. So we, we went, and it's really hard when they approve something because they don't want to change. Okay. Yeah. So the only way to change is to go and produce the song and make it sound even better, you know? Yeah. So, yep. so, so did you, what was the cost thrown back on you? How did all that play out? Oh, I mean, producing a song, does, it's just more time. Yeah. Like and with, with our live set, we have to produce a lot because we don't have a drummer. So, yep. but Harvey did a lot of that work and then he threw it to Geordie, his brother, mm-hmm. who he works on the show. So it was kind of bouncing around. It was nice. Mm-hmm. It was like all the band was involved, had, um, 
Max on flute. We've been featuring him on flute a bit. Yeah, cool. Yeah, it was, nice, it was really fun. Though. That's cool. I like the flute. Yeah, it was, and it was, it's not an easy vocal to do. I didn't want to Agreed. change the key. So yeah. thank God we got a lot of takes. Because the first time we did like a version, they kind of were like, th- we were in Sydney, stuck in a tiny little studio, and they just want to push you through. Really? And you only get like one or two takes. And I'm like, no, no, it's, no. it's fine. Move on. You can't change anything. Shiza. Well, this time they like, let us settle in, rehearse, sound check, get to listen back to the mix. Yeah. Good, good. Yeah. What was the first track you did? It's Christine Anu, wasn't it? That's right. Yeah. You knew it before me, my life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Very good. This guy has been Party, around. yeah. Unreal. Bounce with a drop with that. I really like your comments about the dark energy of A-Craze. It's very interesting. Uh, friends, let's have a bit of music. And then Milo's got some some heat for you. And also later on, um, we're going to talk about Monty. You're talking about flute on stage. He's doing some magic. So we'll get to that after these messages. <laughs> So it's approaching that time where the summer festivals have been and gone for another year Ta-da. and we're entering the colder months, which usually equates to the art, slightly more artsy festivals around the country releasing their programs. I'm talking Rising Festival. I'm talking Vivid up in Sydney, Dark Mofo down in Hobart. Kind of the, the East Coast states kind of all have their equivalent of these festivals now. And I feel like they've had a real big rise over the last 10, 15 years or so in terms of getting some people involved with them who might have otherwise stayed clear of a festival primarily focused around like the Opera House or Hamer Hall or down in Tasmania. But yeah, they've all announced their programs for another year. It's really great to see some internationals coming back on the scene as well. Some highlights, we got Sampa the Great returning from Zambia. Um, She actually never intended to live in Australia. She came here to study um, and it turned, it just that. worked out really well for her. And she's finally gone back to uh, live in Zambia. But she's coming back with a brand new band of uh, some people from her home city. Um, we've got Moses Sumney coming down, Andy Schulf. We've got UK jazz icon Yusuf Days coming at uh, 170 Russell, Baxter Jury, and a couple of others. But there's a few of them that kind of appear on. They, they're, 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 in, they're in talks with each other, these festivals, mm. and they're sort of doing the rounds. We've got Spiritualized playing at both Vivid and Hobart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Incredible I kind band. of – they sort of tie the line, these festivals, between new emerging acts but also just like a healthy hit of nostalgia. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm, I'm wondering sort of whether they're doing enough to – uh, encourage the the new wave of artists coming through to these festivals as mm-hmm. opposed to putting all of their time, money, and energy into these sort of like big nostalgia hits. It's definitely a, a time where they want to they want to know they're going to shift tickets. You know they want to they want to sell. And having a spiritualized, having a Kim Gordon on there, having Niels Fram, you make the point. Skips Melbourne, so you, you have to go and. People love Niels Fram in Melbourne, Niels Fram. You've got to go to Sydney or you've got to go to Tassie. To I think they must have looked at, looked at his ticket sales here in Melbourne over the last five years and gone, yeah. I reckon we're going to pay him a little bit extra to skip over that and yeah. get some tourism bucks up to New South Wales. Yeah, so I, I understand where, they, where they're coming from 100%, but it would be nice if they were encouraging a few more, I guess, local acts or even just overseas artists. Rich Moffat made a good point from, from Groove in the Moo, who he currently has and obviously did GTM and had a great success with it and did – uh, wonders for your career, all that kind of stuff. But he made the point that if you know at least half of uh, the names on on a bill, that's not they're not you're not doing you know the booker's not doing their job. You need to have you know at least half. You should know. You should be should be this real discovery um, aspect of it all. And obviously, you need to build up <laughs> a reputation where people know they're going to get a great product, they're going to get a great festival experience. But yeah, the Niels Farm thing, I think, is very clever. 
Uh, I like the way that's that's playing out. Doing so music for Sydney and music for Hobart. Yeah, coming yeah, up with new things. Specifically, have you seen Niels Framanol? No, Do you know? No, he's no. really really freaking good. He plays sort of he's playing like the in, the internals of a whole bunch of like sort of yeah. pianos and organs and all kinds of weird old instruments. One of the coolest tricks he has is he has a stack of. Um, tape delays space echoes mm. and he takes the lids off them and he's reaching in there and like fucking around with the tape mm. and everything like putting grand pianos and synthesizers and mellotrons and mm. all these crazy things through it it's um yeah it's with, with the exception of with the exception of air at the opera house for vivid years ago mm. probably the best live performance i've ever seen was mm. nils from at hamer hall mm. but looping back to these festivals Early on in client liaison's career, you guys did a dark. You did guys did a monophoma, and a vivid festival. What was those experiences like? Sort of playing those sort of more uh, controlled sort of artsy festivals versus some of the bigger, more splendor in the grassy, uh, groove in the moose later on in your career. Yeah, I mean, it's, it was great to have the opportunity. I mean, at Vivid, we were supporting Pitbull. <laughs> what? So, of course yeah. you were. That's a real sentence that came out of Monty's mouth. Yeah, so it? I mean, and no one thought twice back then. You know, that would not happen. And I remember he was like demanding a lot of things back at his hotel room that were Rappers not writers. savory. Yeah, and everyone was like, Oh, this is this is not really nice. It's a you know, kind of government supported festival. But but yeah, no one thought twice about having Pitbull at the opera house. So um, How did that that is, that still has just broke my brain in the best way. <laughs> yeah. Like there's there's groups. Um, but you, you asked me like you know what was it like? Like I I can't. They it all blurs into one. You know, it's quite inter- it's interesting. It's right now you see there's still a lot of money with the government backed. You know, there's we just did a couple of government shows. You know, everything's very well funded and there's got lots of COVID protocols going on. But then it's not often promoted well enough and people don't turn up. So, and then we've played some pre-COVID festivals like this, that, which is like pre-COVID lineup, incredible, like confidence man are on at like 3 p.m. or whatever. And it's like, this is insane. And they've, and everyone's held onto their tickets for the whole pandemic. There's 12,000 people there sold out. It's like huge. And then there's other ones that are like trying to start up again. So it's just going to take some time for, yeah, things to yeah level out. Mm-hmm. For sure. You did Beyond the Valley a few years ago, and that was a you kind of managed to bring in Daryl Braithwaite via helicopter. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us about that that sort of moment because you was we talked about Tina Arena at Splendor as well, which is probably you know the high point of your career I'd say thus far. You told me the other day because I'm writing a band bio. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, tell tell us about how getting uh, Dazza. In- that was yeah, it was really good. We just we wanted to make we're playing New Year's Eve. We wanted to make it a special show, so we put together. Um, it was actually we wanted him at Splendor, and he couldn't make it. And we we're looking into like he had a, like a show at an RSL that he just couldn't miss. So we we're like, could we get the jet? <laughs> you cannot fault his work ethic. Yes, yeah, yeah. That, that's that's going. massive on you, Daryl. And he's such a great singer and such a lovely guy. So we we're like, let's do it on New Year's Eve because we put together the version of um, horses for him, and it was a surprise, which was nice. Mm. Yeah, so no one saw it coming. I mean, we just like I look back now, and we just took every show so seriously. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like don't stop. Yeah, make every show better than the last, which yeah. eventually you can't keep up. Yeah, I mean, but you really did. I think you guys just pouring money back into just the stage production. You did a show at the Forum. You did a show somewhere else. Wasn't the Comedy Theatre or somewhere? I know, Cameron, the Athenaeum. The Athenaeum. And Cam, yes. my friend Cameron Adams came, went along, um, great journalist, great human. And he's like, you had to see this show, dude. Like, they've gone all out. He showed me all this footage for it. Just the lighting was off the chain, you know. At what point... 
because you did expert liaison, at what point did you kind of guys go, all right, maybe we need to just pump the brakes a, a bit? Expert liaison was just too big, you know. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I attended, it was, there was ice, sort of ice sculptures. There was an off-white limousine. Yeah. John Howard DJed later on. Not to uh, mention Ken Davis. Ken Davis. Ken Davis. Yeah, Hell yeah. Yep. The yep. music king. He was, yep, he yep. was opening up. John Howard with, yeah, with the mask on. Did a good set, actually. Uh, what else? John Farnham <laughs> came out <laughs> and, did, and did Pressure Down, You're the Voice, and God, Age of Reason. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. I was like, what? which songs were you doing? I was, I, that were my three guesses. Ted, tell us about going through that because it was, was with your ex-manager as well. Yeah. We, um, we shouldn't have done so many dates. We planned to do four. We ended up doing three. Our Sydney venue changed. We like got cancelled on us. And uh, we should have just done one in Melbourne. Yep. And everyone had an awesome time, and it was like Agree. I was sitting there going, "This is incredible! I can't believe we put this experience mm. together." Like it was a really fun festival. But if we did one date, we would have kept on doing it the next year and the year after. So, yeah. um, sort of overreached. Yeah, we overreached. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, because like you've got to have an element of um, fantasy as an artist. Yep. You know, and you've got to believe in yourself more than anyone else. Agree. But when you start going into business, and you know. Other people are relying on their paychecks for, mm. for your work. Mm. You've got to be sensible. But yeah, at that same time, we had a fashion line, you know, so just massive fashion line festival. You know, we're still getting played on Triple J and everything's going well. Yeah. But um, we, we weren't finishing the music. So that just, that was a huge distraction in a way. And we didn't finish our album soon enough. Yeah. You were kind of getting dragged all these. You know, yeah. 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 Milo was actually, uh, he DJed one of your shows and the, that said manager offered to pay him in merch, uh, <laughs> which Milo, I don't think you accepted that offer. <laughs> I did not. I will say actually in terms of the uh, the fashion line and sort of the uh, the blurring of line with merch, because merch is one of the best ways that any artist can actually like make a bit of profit in this age of streaming and all of that sort of thing. Blurring the line between fashion and merch and being able to wear a piece of merch without it literally just saying the word client liaison two dates on the back is that something that you uh would like to continue doing and sort of in- innovative merch but not necessarily in the uh the fashion line yeah i mean sphere? it's like our fashion line has had many successes so it's like it's yeah a balancing act of how do we do that and make music at the same time i mean we've got we just wrote a song a couple of weeks ago about fashion so it's like okay well, we've got to we've got to make some more fashion <laughs> but yeah. you know the fashion it like we're working in the fantasy fashion industry and um we did a runway show as part of sydney um fashion week mm. it's a different beast oh, and yeah. there's different personalities and and it's and it's fast fashion and the consumerism of it and yeah it's kind of quite vapid so mm. i didn't enjoy the industry as much as the music industry the music industry is a a closer community and everyone's more supportive. Yeah. And I love that. It's more honesty. Like if you're talking to someone in, in the fashion industry, I'm sure you're like, okay, what does this person really think of me? What do they really want out of right. me? Yeah. yeah. It's just like, you don't even know what you're doing half the time, but in music, you're just like, Hey, there's an artist at a festival. Hey, how are you going? What time yep. are you playing? Yeah. You mm. don't get that camaraderie. I don't think, cause it's all business. You yep. know? There's no set times. No. Yep. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you just, you're, you're, often you're in silos as well. But I, I love fashion. It's a great form of expression. Mm. And um, yeah, we definitely have to do it again. How'd you go during lockdown keeping the style alive? Because I personally <laughs> found that I lost a lot of drive for style. Okay. Being locked inside constantly, I found 
things that were like not. I, I wasn't wearing like grey sweatpants yes. and like tracky dads. You're a very well dressed man. Thank you, man. but I d- did like lose a little bit of the uh, the flamboyant edge. Yes. How did you keep it going in times of just hanging out at home? Uh, I think that's it's part of your mental health is um, the way you dress. For sure. Feel yeah. Good. yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to yeah. I mean, I I'll do my hair no matter what. Yeah. No yeah. one's gonna see us. Still do <laughs> it. Good. You know, like. It's like Prince, you know. You, For sure. Yeah. I can attest to that. Monty used to come into my work to do some fruit and vegetable shopping yeah. a while ago. It still goes there. I don't work there anymore. But mm. hair, always, always to the top. Shout Sorry. out to Wild Things, the best uh, <laughs> Shout out to- in uh in Melbourne. We'll find. Talk about bog catchers and tracky dacks. I wore some yesterday. I didn't feel good about it. I wore it to my daughter's uh, oh. training. I often rock up to my daughter's soccer training on the way to trivia every Tuesday night, and I'm like done up to the nines. I've got a, <laughs> a new piece I found in a Campbell Op shop. One one rule I came up with in COVID is fuck tracky dacks. I cannot wear tracksuit pants. I'm not. I'm not in a good headspace because I'm just walking around feeling like, oh, well, yeah, I'll get a bag on tick. That's the vibe. You guys did a bit of a, a, a warehouse, sort of a, a clearance sale recently. Yeah, How'd that go for you? That was awesome. In Fitzroy. So, like, we had from – because it's coming on 10 years since our first release. Mm-hmm. So – and we're moving studios. So, we just had all this stock from 10 years. And a lot of it's, like, small and extra small. Mm-hmm. And um, <laughs> But there's, there were so many different items and we just have to move that stock. And a lot mm. of fashion houses would just throw it out. Yeah. But it's – it's got our name on it. Like if someone owns yeah. that top, yeah. they're going to, every time they see that top, they're going to think of us and yes. think of that time they saw us or, yes. you know, and yeah. this is a lot of it's very beautiful clothes. So we just had to like, we would just dirt cheap prices, just like very simple setup. And the first customers that came in were these giant like rugby players. <laughs> <laughs> and they went through every item. Oh, like, you know, thankfully they could get like accessories and yeah, yeah, um, yeah. it was really nice to just to give, because we were giving away anyone who bought something, we would give them something, and everyone bought something. Yeah, it was really nice. Yeah. Unreal. It's good to give it a, a worthy home as opposed to just drop. You ever go to an op shop and you see like fifty Shannon Knoll to a t-shirt, oh. just like in a row with the price tags still we on them? We did not. We did not want that. And, and you don't we've want that. Actually, no. still got some tiny extra small things. So we I put them together with bags and accessories, and halfway during the show. We we I try to get Max to find the smallest looking people, amazing. <laughs> and hand it to them. But of course, the big people rip it out yeah, of their hands. Yeah. No, I'll make it work. <laughs> yeah, I'd like some for my daughter, by the way. Oh yeah, that'd, that'd let's be cool. do it. Thank you, thank you. And apparently, uh, Harvey Miller, your bandmate, was spotted at Hamilton last night, looking very fashion. Oh yeah, by, yes. by Sophie yep, Molly. Yeah, I knew he was going there. Yeah, our friend. Very cool. In just a moment, uh, Mon Cherise, we are going to talk even more to Monty about his career. You can support Hit Different. That's what you're listening to now. You're already supporting it. What the fuck? Another mushroom podcast covering Australian music by becoming a subscriber. Everybody's doing it. Why can't we? It's a Cranberries title. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts. You get early access, ad-free episodes, and anything else we can pull together. Every Thursday, we drop a bonus episode, which hopefully, Monty, you're going to stick around to a bonus episode with us today. Affirmative. Uh, You'll be getting it way ahead of everybody. You can tell us. Yeah, you can be the cool person, the cool guy on campus. Friends, we have arrived. Topic three. Monty, you put out a record called Divine Intervention during COVID when everyone was like, what do we do? Do we put this out? We can't sit on this any longer. When did you pull the trigger? We were we were already overdue for our album before COVID started. Damn. Yeah. So <laughs> we were like, we had, we had to finish it. And the thing is, we had, we had all these great songs, some of which we released in 2019. We released three songs. 
And then we had a whole bunch of other ones that we loved and were really great. And But that set the standard of the others and it took a while to reach that standard, especially trying to work over Zoom and, um, yeah, so many things in the way. But so we just kept pushing until we got those songs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, and it was kind of funny that the... I love I love working to a theme. Um, mm. Diplomatic Immunities, like, got a travel theme. Mm-hmm. And that album started with two songs that were already complete. Hotel Stay, which we were mm-hmm. playing live. For yeah. years. Yeah, for years. I remember that yeah. from the early days. Yeah. So, yeah, back in the day, we would um, we would always play unreleased songs and it would bring fans back because that was the only place they could hear them. Um, it would leave them hanging. So, we had Hotel Stay and Canberra Won't Be Calling Tonight and they were travel songs. And I was mm. like, okay, let's put together a travel album, you know, mm. diploma- Diplomatic Immunity. While this one worked the other way, um, we wrote a song called House of Holy with Nick Littlemore in LA mm-hmm. and it had a spiritual vibe mm-hmm. to it. And, As um, it does. Yeah, and from there, we started writing more pseudo-spiritual kind of songs and it took a while until we were like, hold on, let's put this together. Um, divine Intervention kind of makes sense because where do we go from like high-flying business, travel, you know, corporate heroes, that kind of thing. Get and in touch with your roots. Yeah, well, that, go, go to India and find yourself. Yes, well, that yeah, because I was I produced an album of my own music back in like many years ago, and I never released it, and it was um, it was called the Fruity Preacher, and, uh, <laughs> and it was very uh, lots of like percussion, Latin vibes, funky spiritual celebration, and yeah, I was traveling to India a lot of the time, so it was back to my roots. But it made sense for Client Liaison because Client Liaison is world building and that's what we do. We build worlds with mm-hmm. video and live. And so it was like, okay, we can build a world with this. Mm. Cold to Touch is the, is the jam I go to. I like sort of the yeah, more up-tempo numbers on it. Yeah, tell us about sort of knowing you had enough tracks for, for the record and which are the ones that when you see on the set list coming up, you like get extra jazz to play. House of Holy was a good one. We wrote that song with Nick, but we ended up reproducing. Harvey reproduced the whole beat. And that took a long time to get together. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was a, a bunch of early songs that were made with Dan Hume yep. um, up in Byron Bay, Strictly Business, The Real Thing, The Beat Supreme, Champagne Affection, Cult of Touch. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We also went to Mount Buller and did some work there. Um, so we were kind of skiing every morning and then hitting the home studio there. And then um, the final pieces were Club Called Heaven. We, um, I knew we needed an opener and that, that lyric was written a long time ago and I was like, this is the perfect opener. It took a long time to get the music. And then I really wanted a ballad, an authentic ballad in the vein of feeling. And that was the last song, which was Eulogy for the Living. And once that was done, it was like, okay, I can see the light. Yeah. I appreciate that there's a ballad on each release. Yeah. Yeah. It's got to be there. I feel like it's where you guys, you guys shine in a lot of different places, but the ballad is just always my fave on the record. Nice. Nick Littlemore is a very interesting character. He's a personal friend of mine. He's the person who mentions DMT every time you hang out with him. He just loves that shit. Tell us about uh, working with him because he's always channeling something. He's yeah. always troubled and he's channeling something. Yes, and he doesn't stop. He's just all. He just wants to be in the zone. He was incredible. We had one day in Sydney where um, he kind of put us to work. Okay, he said, okay, let's look at a reference. Okay, great, 120 BPM. And then he'd play a reference and say to Harvey, play the keys and how we go no hold on i didn't quite hear it and he goes that was the idea you didn't hear it it'll push you into some unknown territory okay next one next one next one and so we ended up producing this session that was like two hours long with random keys over random beats and then he made it half time 
So it was four hours and then I had to sing. And then the same way I had to sing interesting melodies half time and then he'd speed them up and then we'd try to write lyrics to it. And he'd just keep like whipping us, whipping us to get things. And we, <laughs> we got um, one of the final vocals was Elevator Up that we got okay. out of that. So, yeah. Unreal. And then, yeah, we went to LA and he was very excessive with his production. <laughs> he had like multiple drummers, percussionists, backup singers. And mm. we didn't. We didn't use it all, but we yep. used a lot. He did some production in Elevator Up, which was wild, and um, he was smoking so much weed. Yeah, it's incredible. Um, yep. he just he just keeps going in the zone. He said, yeah. "You just got to keep turning up, and you got to keep getting in the zone." I, yeah. I very much admire him. He's lived in many parts of the world, always making music, always pushing, and he's had incredible success, which he deserves. Penal, like that, literally, they they they've been going since '98, I think. God. Like 2000, yeah, mm. Sam Bonova. So 21 years, still headlining, you know, as a, yeah. for, to be a dance act, headlining bills. And they've gone through waves here and there and they just keep, whenever they come back, they go a little bit higher than they did last time. Yeah. Every second album has, has bombed for them. So they first out, and it sounds, that sounds harsh, but it's true. Again, the second record, we had we had the song called We, we Love the Fresh Kills, which is an amazing song to Jay played at Hots, but it wasn't quite, didn't quite cut through. Then the third album that came out, Wild Strawberries, et cetera, and then Elton John insisted they do a Nick Littlemore, like, you're, you're the vocalist, you're the, you're the focus. So Elton's been on since Wild Strawberries. He listened, he was in uh, a limo in Sydney and he heard the amazing song they did with uh, Luke Steele that opened that record, With You Forever, I think it's called. I don't want to change. Oh, excuse me. Can you do that? Can you fix that up? <laughs> I know the song. Yeah. I don't know it well enough. Anyway, he just like, he stopped what he's like, who's this? Who's this? And he bought 10 copies of the CD, sent it around to everybody, then built them a studio in Hammersmith and then flew them over. And yeah, they, they did that one hit, uh, Good Morning to the Night, which which was like number one song. And then they put out an album which bombed because it was like, Nick's the star of the show now and he's going to be a singer-songwriter kind of dancey thing. It didn't work. But then they've come back again, obviously, and, and gone gone big again and Cold Heart's doing so, so well. Uh, so we're just focusing on Nick for the rest of the interview now. <laughs> um, <laughs> tell us the Splendor, Splendor in the Grass stuff, XR, and you, you did a KFC thing as well. How do you manage to sort of retain that kind of cred when you're working with a label uh, uh sorry a brand like kfc good question mm. um not who can get away with it <laughs> you know what i mean yeah i mean it's it's a different era right now people just consuming so much media and that was um kfc was part of their youth foundation and it was a live stream performance so we mm. just again put everything we could into it mm. so it's like oh we're looking at these lame live streams where people are in like a venue with some dark lights and yeah yeah flashing strobes oh yeah. cool and <laughs> i can't see anything um, it looks like, yeah, it looks like the kind of video you see in a hotel in the lobby, you know, foyer. So we're like, no, let's, let's get like right up to the camera. Let's like use green screen and like superimpose things on top and like just make it really fun and rough and silly. Mm-hmm. And in the, yeah, in the world of KFC, that seemed to work. So, um, <laughs> but you know, yeah, we just do, do what we can during the pandemic. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Jumped on a Seven Eleven ad. That's right. Two. Yeah. I know that. Uh, What's I, this? Yeah. I heard. I heard the ad first before I looked at it. I tend to not look at ads on YouTube before what I'm about to look at, and then I hear Monty's voice come through, and I go, "Damn, CLO on a Seven Eleven ad." And then there they actually were <laughs> yeah, on the screen the... performing in this like weird CGI green screen world. Yeah, and I mean it's sad because we, it couldn't. It had such a nice idea, but again, oh, we have to do it all CGI last minute. Yeah. So that was. They approached us and said, we want you to write a song for 7-Eleven. We're like, no way. And our manager just sent an unreleased song called Intervention 
For sure. And that meant that we released that song. <laughs> so, yeah. And then it yeah, got played on Triple J. This so. is an intervention 7-Eleven. Yeah. <laughs> We're getting involved. Yeah. That's hilarious. Yeah. Did that help you sort of get out of debt post-Expo Liaison? Yeah. There's, there's yeah. kind of decisions. Yeah, you like, just say yes to anything. Yeah. 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 And just keep going. Yeah. I really like the point, too. You guys are now sort of positioning yourself as a cult band, and that goes mm. with the whole divine intervention thing because it's a real kind of cult. I was going to say Koresh, but it's a bit off. But there's a real, you know, sort of cult leader, cult vibe. Right. Um, tell me about, yeah, sort of making peace with the fact that perhaps overseas success may not happen big time. Mm. And, you know, because, you know, you got, you're you a dad now with Clancy, et cetera, and you'd have to just tour your ass off over there yeah, to, yeah. to really cut through, et cetera. So just. Yeah. yeah. So we were, yeah, we were touring overseas and playing festivals and all that kind of thing. But, um, our yeah, so at a certain point it was like, nah, we need to just stay home. And it's, I'm very happy playing here. Um, and I was saying to you before, like we always position ourselves as an underground band mm. playing pop music. So we'd straddle the two spheres. Mm-hmm. So like having a long-term following is really nice. Like being able to tour off cycle and people still turn up is mm. great. And we're not, we don't have one hit, you know, we've got different songs. So it's like, not like everyone comes to that one hit. They come from different reasons, and that's really nice, you know, and it means that we can keep exploring different sides of our personality and people keep listening. It's a good point you make. Like, I would – I'd die to see you play the song Queen right now. Mm-hmm. Like, like, that's the song I've been really getting into lately, and there'd be people out there listening going, oh, I want to see that too. So I think everyone has a different yes. client liaison song that feels like it's their mm-hmm. song. Do you still tap into the EP in the uh, in the shows? Yeah. I mean, it's it's hard now having so many songs. Yeah. and You've got to pick your favourite yeah, children like a little bit. Yeah, for like a festival, you only get sometimes 40 minutes or 60 minutes. It's unfair. So, I know. So we have to squeeze them into medleys. But we've got a few, we had a whole bunch of festivals cancel last minute. So we just quickly booked four East Coast dates that have just been released now. And they're just like 170 Russell tiny venues. Yeah. Not tiny, sorry. Small <laughs> venues. You intimate. Know, like, smaller, intimate. Smaller than the forum. Yeah, intimate. smaller than the forum. And so like, yeah, we've got an awesome version of Queen that we played at the forum cool. um, a few months ago. Yeah. A reinterpretation of that that our bass player did. And, um, yeah, just being able to stretch yourself out and do, like, an 80-minute set. Like, I'd love to do an after show as well and keep yeah. going. Like, bring Prince. out the acoustic drums. And yeah, go full Prince energy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or, like, The Cure jumping on stage and playing, like, a four-and-a-half-hour set of every song they've ever released. Yep. Yeah. God bless them. And then, uh, I mean, I've, I've got a friend called Daryl who plays a lot of RSLs. You could just kick it with him. <laughs> oh, yeah, just, yeah. Just, just go there post-show. Uh, do a special positive franchise show. Two callbacks. Wow, there you go. Uh, <laughs> friends. I think it's time to ask Monty whether he wants to stick around. He's already said yes. You're going to say yes again? Hell yeah. Double oh, rainbow. We need, we need a little air in the room. We need a little goddamn air. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then this, let's do it. This is a fun fact for you uh, listeners at home or on a tram or uh, making love to your wife, whatever you're doing. We uh, This is the last time we're going to be in this studio, um, this airless studio. So we're going to go to Music Market next week. Thanks to our friends at Music Market in Collingwood Yards, VMDO. Um, it's going to be pretty, pretty amazing. And, yeah, um, we won't be getting high on the CO2 or lack thereof. I hear they've got windows over there. Get stuffed. Get out of town. <laughs> Thanks for joining us, everybody. Thanks, Monty. I look forward to speaking to you in approximately six minutes. Friends, you've been lovely. We love you. Okay. See you.